Though the discussions on this podcast might be mystic, the language and situations can be anything but holy. On this episode, we're concluding, finally, the discussion of my greatest failure. So, for this third and final installment in the series, break out the cup of kindness this one last time at the turn of another new year, and let's toast once more to old things being made new. Let's toast to the successes that arise from the so-called failures of our lives. Hey y'all, I'm Grace, and this is Mediocre Mystic, the podcast where we explore how mediocre makes the world go round and how mediocre works in mysterious ways. Thanks so much for joining me. Please take a moment to subscribe, follow, rate, and review Mediocre Mystic on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or any of the platforms where you find your podcast. So, I've shared about being rejected for ordained ministry in several Christian denominations on the basis of gender identity and sexual orientation. But what happens when it turns out you've rejected your own lifelong belief system? What happens when you say no to yourself? Not a committee, but you. Staring at yourself in the mirror, reckoning with the truth you can no longer deny. I myself was the reason for this third failure to be ordained. When I returned home from the General Assembly where LGBTQIA plus ordination was debated and voted upon, I was relieved to be in a denomination that stood on the right side of history this time. Belonging to an affirming liberal congregation that had always been on the right side of history afforded me much-needed rest to recover from this exhaustion of that long, gut-wrenching fight. So, after a year of membership, I began the process of having this church be my sending congregation. Ascending congregation is kind of like a sponsor, so to speak, during your ordination process. They're your home church. This also meant that my service in the church went to a new level. Not on staff, but also not exactly just a volunteer. For once, here was a leader who really saw me, beyond my history, beyond my gender, beyond the gender of whom I would partner with, to my potential, to the best of what I could be and do for the church. They saw what I had to bring to the table, both the pastor and the very welcoming congregation, and they offered me a place to put my gifts to good use. For a time, I was able to exercise them well and serve those around me with care. Whilst in community, riding the rush of acceptance and the high of belonging, I was escaping the sobering reality of my own truth. Conversely, in my moments of solitude coming down off the rush of that high, what I was neglecting, all of my ignored words, would come crashing down upon me. The night and day of this dual existence put a strain on everything and everyone in my life. Here's the thing, y'all. It ain't TikTok. In real life, we cannot stand in the tattered rags of our emotions and skip to the good part dressed in just the right put-together outfit with a wave of the hand. We live the whole movie, the moments unseen from bloopers and retakes to everything before, in between, and after, raw, without clever video transitions and catchy looks. That clip we show to the world when it all comes together is the expression of 
hours of work editing. I think of editing like therapy. It helps us figure out exactly what we want in and what we need to get out of our lives. It helps us take a hard look at the cuts that need to be made with boundaries and find just the right additions to highlight our own life story with self-care. This world can be as hard to understand as a fucking social media algorithm. I've found that timing is everything. The makings were all there this time in my ordination process, but the timing was all off. I had done the work for many years in therapy around my family trauma, and I felt at peace in that resolve. But now I had a whole new set of issues to deal with around my coming out queer and religious spiritual trauma. I was just in the very beginning of my deconstruction, and I did not have a clue how terribly brutal it would be. Y'all, I didn't even know what the hell deconstruction was or that I was at any stage of it at this time. I was struggling with the challenge of everything I ever believed being put into question. Ingrained teachings being tossed out and turned upside down. These were incredibly harmful, fucked up, fundamentalist teachings to be sure. And once deconstructed and let go, I would find the greatest freedom in losing them. But... When you've already lost so much, and even when the change is good change, it is still change. And it is still yet another loss. It feels almost impossible to me to express the hold that deeply indoctrinated teachings can have on a soul, even when it wants so badly to let go, and how heavily they can weigh a spirit down, even when all it wants is to take flight. When all you've ever known is a lie, standing in your own truth, looking into the great unknown, is a very scary place to be. It's so hard to know whom and what to trust, and that trust is least placed in yourself. Hey y'all, did you know you can support the show and help keep it independent for less than the price of a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash mediocremyg. That's mediocre M-Y-G. Just like this coffee house edition of the main title, every piece of music, copy, and graphic is created by the amazing artists in the Mediocre Mystic Network. We are committed to offer practical, magical content by everyday people for everyday people. We handle all production, social media, and cover all expenses for services and equipment. Our guests appear of their own free goodwill. If you are so inspired by your own free goodwill, please consider buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash mediocremyg. That's mediocre M-Y-G. No matter what was going on at this time, my very favorite part of each week was a small early morning contemplative gathering that was led by the attendees themselves. It was facilitated by the pastor, but the people made this meeting. A volunteer would share a scripture, maybe Christian, maybe some other religious tradition scripture, or a poem, maybe a story, and we would meditate around that together in quiet. We would then get together and engage with it as to what it meant to us. We were a mix of ages and races, genders and orientations with a wide and varied set of beliefs. Many of these were decidedly not Christian. So the perspectives made for a beautiful expression of inclusive universal spirituality that I would come to embrace. 
I felt so grateful for the unity in this motley crew and the kinship I found of spirit. My contribution was music. I often opened with a few songs. It was unlike any of the worship leading I had ever done thus far. Let's just say this was more of a listening venue. Just me and my guitar. Once in a while, just me and my hand drum. This group was so intentional, and it challenged me to really think about the words to each and every choice of song I ever made. I couldn't just pull from the standard hymns or popular worship songs without deliberate consideration. It really encouraged me to explore a broader understanding of what worship and service music meant. Whilst we did enjoy some of those standard and popular picks, I also played devotional music from other faiths and popular music that fit that week's gathering like Joan Osborne's What If God Was One of Us. I changed lyrics to make the songs more open and inclusive. Our liturgy had already done this. It was creative and accessible to all. I noticed the wider the language, the wider the unspoken space we held together, full of such beautiful blessings. And I don't use that word lightly. Blessing is one of those words like calling that I use very sparingly and very purposefully. This service always felt so reciprocal. The give and take of it felt like the true expression of the Greek meaning of the word liturgy, which is the work of the people. This was the safe space that I shared about in episode two of this series, where I finally knew deep within, down to my bones, that I was not going to hell for being queer or for any other reason for that matter. For this one hour, this one day a week, I finally felt like I was living my true calling. Ironically enough, this sacred space gave me the freedom to lose my religion and find myself. More and more, the issues I had been compartmentalizing began to spill out uncontrollably. As we discussed in the first episode of this series, when we don't allow ourselves to honor our feelings, they leak out in all sorts of other ways. For me, this was just the fucking worst. I'm a person who likes to have self-control. And for the last few months I've spent in this congregation, I was anything but self-controlled. I was confused as hell. I had so much to work through and also so much to explore before making this kind of commitment. And because of this, there were unfortunate miscommunications and misunderstandings between me and the pastor, as well as a handful of members. The leadership, understandably, followed the pastor's lead at the end of the day when we ended up parting ways. There was wrong on both sides, and we both felt betrayed on a level. I felt betrayed by my own emotions, and I think they did too. My behavior toward the end of my membership in this congregation was in stark contrast to who I am when not in the throes of working out trauma and coming out to a whole new way of existing. With the freedom to question everything came the cost of my personal composure. Now, this didn't happen in wide open services, but it did show up in my closest relationships. I'm sure in those relationships, I was a person they didn't recognize in many ways at that time. And nor did I, because I was still discovering who I was without fundamentalism. To be fair, I think many of these folks just didn't have any kind of context for that kind of background. I made many mistakes and had lapses in judgment a person should have a good decade earlier than I did in the normal world. 
I cannot stress how much it had been my whole life. From the way I dressed when I got up in the morning under purity culture rules so that I would be an acceptable helpmate to my mate one day, to the way I tried to witness Jesus at the checkout counter to the cashier because the great commission of salvation is all that matters. Dropping that kind of way of life, that kind of rhetoric around literally everything you do in life, every moment of life, takes a lot of time and therapy. I, too, felt betrayed by what I consider to be a blind side when called into a meeting to let me know that the church would not be sponsoring me for seminary. The pastor admitted that she understood it was a kind of betrayal. Her honesty in that moment gave me a bit of comfort. But what I really struggled with was the lack of honesty regarding her own lapse in wisdom. Her part in putting me in too much leadership too soon that contributed to all our suffering. I do remember maybe two conversations about miscommunication and misunderstanding that I thought were resolved. Other than that, this came without any warning. I remember sitting in this meeting weeping and begging for taking ordination off the table for another year as I worked out my shit in therapy and remained in the congregation. But there was no negotiation to be had. And I walked away more brokenhearted than anything. It was one thing to be rejected by conservative assholes on matters I had no control over, like my gender and orientation. It was quite another to be banished from the promised land of loving, not judging. I had been delayed in the past for no good reason, and now it felt I had been put forward for all the wrong reasons. I would be this church's first sponsored seminarian in a long while, and a queer woman to boot, at a time when our congregation was one of the most outspoken and activist for LGBTQIA issues, both spiritually and politically. There was a history of this community feeling like an outcast in their denomination. I think it was the perfect storm of my desire to go on with this calling I had put so much into for the majority of my life and their desire to have more standing within their own synod. Sometime thereafter, I met with the synod leadership. I drove up wondering what in the hell they would say. The bishop of our state and the pastor did not see eye to eye on a great many things. They actually asked me to continue on. They asked me to consider another sending congregation and go ahead with my seminary plans. They even had a congregation they recommended to me. And I have to tell you, in that moment, It offered me a great deal of comfort and healing and validation. It let me know I wasn't crazy in my assessment of what had transpired. But in the end, I said, please close my file with many thanks. By then, I realized I just didn't believe in the gospel I would be responsible to spread as a pastor. And in all good conscience, I could not and I would not put myself or a faithful congregation in that position. Finally, it was my decision, and I said no. I was a mess for a good year after. Sometimes the kindest thing we can say is, not yet, not now, but in time, especially when we see someone's potential or even our own. That's the thing about potential. It is in the not yet 
We cannot force it to be in the already. God may call things that aren't as though they were, but we mere mortals must call things as though they are, always holding out hope. Without the unwavering support of my best friend and my wife, I would not have survived, and I mean that quite literally. I benched myself and had a glorious decade of just normal, regular, everyday living without any kind of steady practice. I dipped in and out of whatever suited me at the time. This was necessary for me to heal from the wounds I had incurred on the fields of religion. It was during this season I realized the importance of cherry-picking. Fundamentalist doctrine of any type will say this is the greatest evil. I have found it to be the greatest good. I offer you a space, here on Mediocre Mystic, to explore, to mess up as you try new things, to find the thing that works for you, and to unashamedly cherry-pick it. No one tradition owns anything. God has many names and many faces, and for many there is no God. The cherry-picking is simply the practice that works for you. In episodes one and two, I talked about open concept living and the idea of open corrals for our gifts. I'm doing my best to live that integrated life, to live in the openness of the great plains of freedom and realize the beauty that the boundaries of grand majestic mountain ranges can offer. I try to be the water that flows in between all these landscapes that has offered me the greatest perspective to love and accept myself at all stages in all times, from seasons of frozen ice to rushing rivers. You'll be shocked, and yet, I bet not, to hear that I am investigating interfaith ordination and humanist chaplaincy. I continue on in marrying and burying as the season in the community around me calls for it. I guess you can take the gal out of the church, but you can't take the calling out of the gal. Now that you've heard from me, I want to hear from you. Call or text me at 980-355-9665. Email me at mediocremysticpod at gmail.com. Visit mediocremystic.com and check out the show notes for links to social media and references from this episode. And don't forget to subscribe, follow, rate, and review Mediocre Mystic on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or any of the platforms you find your podcast. Until next time, make a toast to every failure that led to a success. Cheers, my dears and casserole queers. And until then, stay tuned for the moment of mystic in the midst of the mundane middle.